a Podcast One production. I'm Charles Fairley and for 30 years I've worked for big media companies like the Nine Network, Sony Music, AAP and Win Television. And I started Unsung Business Heroes because I wanted to give small business owners a voice, many of those small business owners that I met through my work, but also because my dad was a business owner. And so helping small business and marketing and getting to know the motivation behind business is part of my life. One thing that gave me the idea for this concept was that my dad had actually been interviewed in a book about 15 years ago and he was a boat builder as I mentioned up on the central coast and uh, you know he had 35 staff and uh, worked long hours you know he's there Saturdays and Sundays and um, I just realized that when he was coming to retirement where was all the record of of his achievements and his accomplishments and how could I tell my grandchildren about it when he was no longer around and so I really wanted to record all that information and create a little documentary about his life if you like so I, I think that really motivated me to go out and see other people in the similar situations. I think the one thing I learned from my dad was just to work hard, persist, focus, you know, persevere. And it just comes down to blood, sweat and tears really at the end of the day. But everyone has their own advice and business knowledge and experience. So every one of the 50 people we spoke to had some similar things they talked about, but also their own experience that they also shared with us. And that's the story that we really engage with. Aldo comes across as a very uh, widely travelled entrepreneur. He calls himself an inventor, but he's also just has a really fresh approach to business and solving problems. And as he says, he's a creative thinker, unlike his parents back in Malta, where he came from. He actually uh, had a bout of cancer, but um, he was so involved and so ensconced and immersed in his business that it was almost like the cancer was a, a secondary issue that he could park to one side and uh, his work was more important, which these days he'll tell you that that's completely the opposite to how he thinks now. But um, when he looks back and reflects on that, it's really powerful as a lesson. Uh, we interviewed Aldo in a boardroom in Sydney, and he's got a base there in Ultimo, but he's really a world traveller. I think he follows the sun around the world and lectures on leadership and mentoring his staff whenever he can. So he's, he's a very interesting guy, Aldo. Aldo arrived in Australia when he was about 20 uh, in the 70s and that was around the same time as PCs and IT started to boom and because he had that technical background and that creative attitude he really took to computers and he was able to communicate very clearly with other people who needed his assistance so he got into the IT space very um, easily I think. I'm an electronics engineer uh, I don't have any business qualifications uh, so my only qualification is that I am an inventor and I look at any problem, whether it is building an electric car or turning around the loss-making business from a point of view of creativity. Uh, it's quite natural for me. I don't, I don't have set rules, set tools. I utilize tools as I need them. I, like an inventor, you go and seek what you need in the moment. Um, well, I have been a sales manager, a marketing manager, a CEO, and I resort to the same tool set, which is my creativity. Um, and my creativity starts early in my life. At 12 years old, um, I was given a, a radio by my parents' friend who was convinced I could fix it. Um, and half an hour later, I fixed it. I can't remember this. My mom tells me this story. 
At 14 years old, I fixed a, a little car that I bought for seven pounds that the mechanics couldn't fix, and in two months I was driving it legally. Um, so yes, I, I have an innate inquisitive mind that wants to find solutions for problems. In fact, m my recent work life is more about assisting others solve problems in a normal business environment. I'm more adept to that than to actually run a business long term. Right. After a while, I get bored. I need to find some other problem to solve. Sure. And I guess technology has been a big part of how you solve problems because you've. Yes. It's been an exciting time in the last 10 years. With For me, in the last 30 years, Charles, because mm -hmm. I coincidentally arrived in Australia when the PC was about to happen, just before. And by pure coincidence, not by smart planning, I ended up in a, in a PC organization as the main technical guy. Right. Um, and very quickly I wanted to earn more money and I ended up in sales and marketing. Um, but yes, there was always that technical bent that helped me understand the environment I was in. I didn't really need much work to understand what a PC was and how it worked. Um, same thing when, when I got involved in software with my software company that I still own today. Um, the same thing, I brief, I go to the customers, I understand what their needs are, what their problems are from a business perspective because I'm a businessman, but then I can go back to my head of development and explain more or less what we need to do. Because of my creativity, I'm a good designer, so I might even draw a, a flowchart of how the app is going to look like and, and why. And, and so it, it, it's a very easy transition from a business problem to a technical solution. Often technical solutions deliver technical solutions, they don't deliver a business solution. Then there has to be a lot of manipulation, yeah, which isn't often it? I don't need to do because I've already processed that in, in my mind. And that's obviously talking about Air Data, the SaaS business that you've been more recently involved with. Well, yes, I'm, I'm the chairman of the business. Uh, I've got somebody that actually runs the business on a day-to-day -day basis. I I got involved in that business about six years ago. Uh, the business was having all sorts of problems and they brought me in to turn around a, um, a problematic sales team in New South Wales. But very quickly they got taken over by another company because they had big cash issues, cash flow issues. And that company quickly thereafter went bankrupt and we ended up in protective administration and they approached me to be the CEO. Now at this stage I was sort of semi-retired, I really didn't have much interest. I was getting paid as a contractor to help them with the problems they had. But eventually the staff uh, asked me to do it and I said I would do it on the basis that the staff want me to do it. I want to be beholden to the staff, not the board. And I ended up convincing the board to give 40% of the business to us, the staff, which we shared equally with, mm -hmm. without any a dollar for a few shares each. Mm -hmm. um, and, and yes, and we turned around that business over the last six years and then I decided that sailing was more fun. <laughs> <laughs> you have to have a hobby, don't you? <laughs> yes. We spoke to a few people that you've worked with um, and they all said you have a, a different way of thinking and a different approach. Uh, I guess, you know, one of my friends calls me the social CEO. Uh, so I, I tend to have a, a, a part of me which is very business-like but a part of me which is very humanistic. And that's not very often that you find in, in, in people 
uh, like me, uh, because mo most of the time we are focused on the bottom line of the business and we take no prisoners to achieve our quarterly results. Uh, I tend to have a different view of that. I, I believe that sustainable businesses start with sustainable people that are doing things that they can sustain long term. Um, and so I call it essential leadership because it comes from the essence and it's essential. It's essential that it comes from the essence because if I'm doing something uh, because it comes from within, then it's not likely I have to struggle too much. And I don't need to have these other concepts of work-life balance because I am in balance. You know, I'm doing the things that I love. And so I rather than think that I need people to deliver KPIs, I think I need people that can develop to do the things they love. And if they are doing the things they love, their life is sustainable, so my business is sustainable. And the financial results are even more important from what I have found out. And so you love helping people find what they love? Yes. Is that what you're saying? This is my passion. Yeah? Okay. And where do you think that's come from? From my father. Um, yeah. Yes. Uh, it's, an, it's an unrelated um, path that brought me there. But my father, who was a Catholic, but really he was a, a Zen Buddhist at core. Really? So he, he um, always said to me that, and, and, and beyond saying to me, the way he lived his life was always in search of happiness. And right. whatever he was doing, he found happiness, you know. Um, and he didn't really need much in life. And, you know, we were comfortable. We didn't have any lack of, of, of things in life that give you a good life. Yeah. Um, but he instinctively gravitated towards those things that made him happy. Because he did that, he was also successful. Um, and so I think it morphed into the way I do things without me. It's not a conscious process sure. that I feel that I'm at my best when I'm happy. Yeah, in fact, you know, I've had issues in my past with things like burnout and what have you, and it's because I wasn't happy. Yeah. I wasn't operating from a place that comes from, from inside. I'm, I'm operating focused on the outside, forgetting about me. Yeah, so if there's I some conflict in your work life? There is some conflict. And, you know, you see it. We end up in depression, we end up with cancer, we end up with, um, sure. with heart attacks, and people wonder why. And in our society, we tend to deal with Band-Aid solutions. So, you know, open them up, operate them, give them some drugs, put them back where they were. Sure. You know, uh, instead of going back and understanding what is at the core. And at the core, normally, you find lack of happiness. Yeah. And so to find that happiness, you work towards your passion, is it? Exactly. Yes, um, absolutely. Uh, uh, it's all it is. It is the simplest solution mm -hmm. and the hardest to do. I have not met one person that I say to them, okay, we need to focus on your passion. What's your passion? That they can actually tell me what their passion is. Really? I haven't yet found one person. It's the okay. hardest process. Because in life, we are born with a gift that we're meant to deliver to this world, and the process of growing up and being educated is the process of being derailed from that focus. And so we lose track of who we are, and we end up becoming machines that can deliver profitability to businesses. And then we end up in a burnout situation, on a midlife crisis or what have you, 
and then we're totally lost because all the things that we trained ourselves to do we cannot do anymore but there is nothing at the core of who we are because we lost it when we were too young sure. and so I ask people I say to them okay you want to work with us you're technically qualified what do we have to do to make sure you're happy most people can't answer that question well, I, I don't feel I should answer it truthfully. Often they know it at a subconscious level, but they are not able to actually verbalize it, you know. So it's not, it's not necessarily that they are hiding it. Sometimes they cannot find it, you know, because we've learned, we've been trained to believe in every walk of life, marketing, and I've been involved in marketing. I'm one of the culprits. But we've been trained to believe that it's the next watch that's going to make us happy. It's the next car that's going to make us happy. It's the next handbag. Sure. It's the next house. It's the other blonde, not the one at home, but the other one that's going to make us happy. You know, it's, 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 we've been trained to believe that that's where happiness is, but sure. it isn't. And social media perpetuates that, doesn't it? Yeah, everything in our life perpetuates that. So, you know, uh, it's about finding happiness in, in the simple things which you end up finding what the sweet spot is. And I'll give you an example, a yeah. specific example. When I was in New Zealand, I was the country manager for Acer in New Zealand. In fact, I started that business. I decided to do something different. This is 20 years ago. I decided to do something different. And instead of giving out business cards that said sales manager or what have you, I gave them titles that more or less respected what they did. And so we socialized this within the team, so we came up with titles. And the, what we traditionally call the receptionist, I called her the director of customer satisfaction. Mm -hmm. That was her title, she had her business card. And from the moment that I gave her the card, she would turn up to work dressed immaculately. She redesigned the whole reception area. Wow. She would fight with the internal team if somebody didn't return their phone calls on time. And she was operating from her essence. She was happy. She actually felt she didn't need a promotion. She didn't need to think, yeah, I'm only a receptionist, but eventually I can be a salesperson and then eventually because she knew that in that role she could be the best of who she was. Yeah, yeah. That's the essential, essence. Essential and it comes from where I didn't have to tell her, you need to dress up or you need to dress differently or you need to fix the reception area. Sure. It was instinctive. It was like she believed what she was doing. We empowered her in what she was doing. And the rest came naturally to her, much better than I could have uh, defined it for her. But your skill can be in identifying those opportunities within people. That is my... That is my, my creative, uh, inventive skill that yeah. I use with building my electric car or I use with uh, working with people. Because you do quite a bit of mentoring now and coaching? I do, I do. I think you probably have uh, caught up with a couple of yeah, we uh, spoke my clients. Of yeah. How do you keep it impersonal but make it personal? So how do you not get involved in people's lives and their problems and live in the hole with them, so to speak, if that's a mm. way of putting it, but still maintain that effectiveness and uh, how do you work that balance? I guess it's more or less along the same lines. Um, I don't consider myself a mentor. Okay. As an inventor and a, and a, and a designer, I give life to things. Um, I get out of the design what design wants to deliver. And it's the same with, with people. I don't pretend to think. In fact, I think it's totally wrong that they should think that they should be like me. I actually don't believe in that concept of, of mentorship. Sure. I read somewhere, sometimes, I think in a shopping center, that said, you better be you because everybody else is taken. You know, I cannot be Elon Musk. 
I cannot be Bill Gates, I am Aldo. Sure. And I have to find out what that means and deliver it to the world. Yeah. And then the people that I mentor, I do the same. I, I talk with them at length about their lives, about even though it's business mentoring, so that I understand what that kernel is inside that makes them who they are and that gives them happiness. Yeah. And when I find it, I use that as the mirror into the future where I get their permission to hold them accountable to who they are. And I keep reminding them. And when they come to me with work issues, where I notice that they are trying to resolve the work issue out of fear, because we often do that, then I remind them that that's not who they are. You yes. know, this is who you are. Yes. What is this part of you telling you? You know, trust that part of you. And it's hard because when we are in a work environment, we get caught up in the hierarchy, in the rules of the organization and what have you. It's not much different to relationship. You know, you meet somebody, you fall in love with who they are and they fall in love with you. And in no time they're starting to change you or sure. wanting to change you. But in fact, who they want is you. If you change, they would not be happy. And it's the same thing at work. We go to work because we want to deliver who we are to that job. Then we go in there and we think that the organization is trying to change us. But the organization has a lot of noise and we cannot get lost in that noise. We have to stay who we are if we want to deliver. By becoming a chameleon, I'm not delivering. No, yes. I might keep my job, but I'm not delivering. And you miss out on massive opportunities yes. because as an individual, I might see an opportunity for the business that in order to follow the path, the chameleon path, I might never talk about that. Sure. Because it's just more expeditious to focus on the cash cow uh, and everybody will support you in, in working with the cash cow. You know, everybody wants more money out of that cash cow. But somebody needs to bring uh, the, the new thing that's gonna hit. And it's, it's um, you know, we, we see it in organizations all the time. And the only way to keep that voice is to stay true to who we are. And how would you measure it? And if you measure it, how do you monitor success for yourself and for other people? What's That's an interesting question. And so the, the first thing, you measure success on the basis of profitability when you're in business. Sure. You, you, don't, you cannot get away from that. Sure. Um, you know, if you're in a benevolent fund, then it might be different, but this is business. However, there is something that exists out in the market that we use called happiness quotient, which is a series of questions that analyze the happiness of individuals. And whilst it appears that the primary focus is profitability, we make sure if there is issues with profitability, we focus on the happiness quotient. That's how we drive our profitability forward. Because everything else goes back to punishment. Everything else, it's like you haven't met your goals. There are negative incentives that never work. And so what I find works is to say, if we're not achieving our results, there is a l some, some interference and in, in, uh, some resistance in achieving that happiness. And I have to find out where it is. And we use these tools to make sure that we're getting, it could be, they could be simple things, you know, it could be things at home that have nothing to do with work. But if you want to deliver at work, you have to be happy at a 360 degree rather than I'm happy at work, but I'm miserable at home, you know. When you started out in your career, was there a, an element of risk in your approach, do you think? And 
Well, yeah, um, I didn't do this when I started out my career. You know, I was one of the normal career-focused, do what it takes to end up being the head of an organization. Only in retrospect, only after having cancer and having lost everything, that I started rethinking, you know, what am I doing? And well, that's a fairly shocking, yeah. in the true sense of the word, getting a shock. Yeah, that's yeah, a yeah. Shocking and it took me 10 years. You know, I had cancer 20 years ago. It took me 10 years until I lost everything before I realized that something was actually wrong. So, you know, you get cancer and you think you think something is seriously wrong here. But no, you, you know, I, I fixed myself up and I picked myself up and went back doing exactly the same thing, didn't I? And so the next thing was yeah. that I ended up losing everything. As, as much harder as I worked, I was losing things even quicker. My wife left, everything. It just, I got to a stage where everything I had built was gone, everything. And my health was first to go and then the rest. I think eventually it was my sanity, the last yeah. thing that, that went, you right. know, midlife crisis, burnout, depression, although it was never diagnosed and I never actually right. took any medication. But I was lucky enough because I think that we get to a stage where society pushes us into go to your doctor and doctor will say, take antidepressants and you'll be fine. And you still haven't fixed anything. Sure. I was lucky enough that I ended up talking to friends who took me down a path which was more about self-exploration rather than medication. And I started slowly rebuilding. And in retrospect, what I realized is that I, I had everything. You know, I had the house on Lake Como, I had uh, nice cars, nice women, but I wasn't really happy. No, no. Yeah, I was I was on a train track to success at the cost of everything. Do you mind me asking what the cancer was? It was a colon cancer. If you're gonna get cancer, that's that's, that's one the one to get because one, so. because it's it's uh, far away from the other organs. And I was yeah, fully recovered. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. This was 20 years ago. Yeah, I um I do regular checkups, blood tests, and what yeah. have you. But really, pretty scary at the time. I can imagine. Yes, although I wish it was scarier. You know, I was so busy that I really didn't give it much, much attention. Yeah. I was just more bothered about fixing it and moving on with my career, which in a way was a blessing because I didn't go into self-pity, which really is not very uh, productive in, in, a, in a health sense. Sure. But I wish that I took more seriously what actually was going on. As I said, it took me another 10 years to realize what was going on right. and that I needed to change things in my life. But, you know, when you're in an aircraft, they say to you, put your oxygen mask on first before you put it on somebody else. In life, we forget that, that we have to look after ourselves first in order to look after others. We actually don't do that. And spirituality is about, you know, is about making sure that I'm okay. And if I'm okay, I can make sure you're okay. Yes. And it's, it, it, it permeates. It's not the other way around. You know, and, and often we think, if I look after my neighbor, then I'm going to be okay. I think it's actually counterintuitive, it's the opposite. Yes. If I look after myself, not in an ego sense, but in a health sense, in a well-being sense, yep. then those around me are gonna benefit. And that's the basis of, uh, and so your question related to, you know, would I continue doing this in other organizations? Is it something that I want to take forward? Mm. I don't know any other way now. I think it's the way that I've seen um, my turnaround in life, and I've helped a couple of businesses doing this, and I certainly use it to my coaching. Um, and I think it's the only sustainable way forward. And if you look at most businesses, even big ones, 
they are not sustainable. They have they they come to an end, and it's because people within them are not living a sustainable life. Is what I mean. It's what I believe. As as I said, you know, it was an inconvenience having a cancer because I had better things to do than worrying about cancer. Whereas realistically, what I needed to do is to find out what was going on inside. Yeah. Because I didn't, in life, if we don't listen to what our body is telling us, we're going to get into a worse situation. Yes. And then we don't listen. And I was not able to listen. I have been trained to stay focused on the goal, and whatever gets in the way, just walk through walls, you know. And if you walk through enough walls, you end up with a blood nose, and a very sore head, yes. and eventually you gotta listen. And for me, it took me losing everything. It took me getting to a stage where I, I could not even turn up to work anymore because my head was a meltdown. Mm. I would look at spreadsheets that I created, and I couldn't understand what was going on. Really? That's where that's where it got me to. So how did you turn that around? What, what? Started seeking uh, external help. One of the things that this career path does, it makes us much more individualistic. It makes us much more egocentric. I had to get to a stage where I needed help because I wasn't going to go and ask for help ever. And I think that is symptomatic of most people in senior places. You know, they say being in a senior role like a CEO, it's a very lonely place to be. Yes. And that's what I had learned. It's to be on my own and be okay. Yeah. Um, but I wasn't okay because the body was telling me I wasn't okay. Yes. Um, and that is the conflict between head and heart. The head is saying, I'm okay. The heart is saying, I'm not okay. Yes. I'm going to start breaking down. And the body starts breaking down. Mm-hmm. What I learned was that I am much stronger when I'm open to others in a non-egotistical sense. From the, po- the reason I say this is the hardest thing to really talk about the truth that goes on inside. It's yeah. easy for me to tell you what the weather is like and what I do at work and, and my family and my kids, but to tell you actually what's really going on inside, I first have to catch up with it. That's really then, giving, isn't it? And then I have to articulate it. And, and I'm totally vulnerable in that state yeah. because the higher up we are in an organization, the more isolated we become from this. Yes, so you don't have you know? to open up to. In right. fact, you know, we have to protect is what I find is that when I go into, into work as a chairman, as a CEO, as a designer, because I do that too, as an inventor, because I do that too, because really at the core, my passion, who I am, my essence, is that I'm an inventor. Yes. And that's what I am. And that's what, what I u- utilize all day, every day in my life. Because if I do that, I'm happy. If I'm happy, you feel that happiness. If you feel that happiness, you're going to get closer to who you are and you're going to contribute from that place, and you're going to be happy. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's, it builds up. And, sure. and so that's why what I was saying before, if I am able to, in my coaching or mentoring, or call it what you want, um, if I'm able to get to that and find your happiness and, and hold you accountable to your happiness, then wherever you go in your life, and this is not happiness like I bought a new car, I'm happy. Sure. You know, this is a state of being, a, a feeling inside. Yeah. Then you're going to create sustainability around you because what you're doing is sustainable. You know, yeah. What I'm doing is sustainable. It's natural for me to be inventive, to be creative. I don't have to try. It just happens. 
Sure. You know, and if I can get you to do the same, imagine an organization where everybody at every level is a leader. And so leadership is, is about how we contribute into the role yeah. rather than the role itself. So I want to have a company full of leaders. Sure. It doesn't matter what they are doing. Sure. And by leaders, I mean they are doing what they love, they are happy, so it's sustainable. And people say to me, yeah, but you know, Aldo, how can you run a business if everybody is creative and everybody is a leader? Being creative doesn't mean that you don't do the job that you're meant to be doing. It means that in that job, you're engaging your heart, you're engaging your soul, you're doing it because you feel you can contribute, because yes. you, it's something that aligns with your value systems. Yes. And, and I've got friends in business that they, they, they contribute by being totally administrational, because that's what's in their core, that's how they do, they are organizers, sure. that's what keeps them happy. They love everything organized. Well, I am not like that. Yeah. I, I need more creativity around me. Doesn't mean that they are wrong or I'm wrong, but in our education system, one is wrong and one is right. And, and, that, and, and we damage people doing that. Sure, it's black and white, isn't it? Yeah. There's no black and white in life. There isn't. Yeah. We're all gray. Just to finish off, three little tips or pieces of advice or factors that you might share with someone who might be starting out in business? Or yeah, well, share. after that discussion, I think they are quite logical. I think make sure that what you're doing uh, comes from your heart, appeals yeah. to your heart, makes your heart sing. The second thing is write yourself a one-page business plan. Now, most people that start something, they start it because they've seen something, they believe in it, and their heart is in it. They say, this is what I want, this is the impact I can bring on the world. And then they start doing it, and then they've got the influence of, of what's around them, and they get derailed, and then they wonder why they never achieved what they wanted to achieve. Yeah. One-page business plan, succinct, exactly what I'm doing, why I'm doing it, what I'm expecting out of it, reviewing it every six months, yeah. to stay on track and consciously make changes if you want to make changes, rather than allowing the business to meander. Sure. And often after six months you find that it has meandered. And then you have to decide, is it meandering in a direction that I'm happy with? Yeah. Do I need to bring it back? Yeah. So do what your, makes your heart sing, yeah. write the one-page business plan, and then monitor that one-page business plan. Well, pretty heavy-duty stuff when Aldo talks about it. You know, people first and your health first and being happy is so important. And Aldo's view of it is that if you have happiness in work and happiness in the workplace, then the workforce will be much more sustainable. You'll get less people leaving the business and, you know, much healthier, happier people. If you like that story, you should really listen to our story with Richard Fanari, a truck and machinery dealer based in Geelong, who was 24-7 focused on his business until he had a terrible health issue in his family that made him really reassess his work-life balance. And Richard shares his life lessons with us in this really intriguing story. Unsung Business Heroes was presented by me, Charles Fairley, in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. The executive producer was Jenny Goggin. If you'd like to see the videos of my interviews with these unsung business heroes, go to unsungbusinessheroes.com.au. For more episodes, go to podcastone.com.au, download the Podcast One app, or search for Unsung Business Heroes on iTunes.